This is MIT Technology Review. A new artificial intelligence tool known as ChatGPT has gained popularity for its ability to craft emails, write research papers, and answer almost any question in a matter of seconds. You do not need to be a techie to use this. It is user-friendly. It puts AI in the hands of the masses. Lots of upside, plenty of downside. The New York City Department of Education is cracking down on a particular tool. Students and teachers can no longer access an artificial intelligence chatbot that generates writing. Right now, it feels like the whole world is watching ChatGPT to see what happens next. Schools are trying to ban it. Companies are scrambling to monetize it. And Google wants to compete with it. It's safe to say OpenAI's text-generating tool came onto the scene with a bang, changing how we think about content creation. And one place it's doing just that is in the news business. And look out aging TV hosts like me, because it can churn out TV scripts as well. What you just heard me reading wasn't written by me. It was written by artificial intelligence. Will artificial intelligence soon replace journalists? Well, that's a question that a lot of people have been asking themselves since the rise of generative AI tools such as ChatGPT. I'm Jennifer Strong. In this episode, we dive further into how ChatGPT is being used in the newsroom. Let's go. In Machines We Trust. I'm listening. A podcast about the automation of everything. You have reached your destination. Hey, Matt. Hey, Jennifer. Matt Honan is Tech Review's Editor-in-Chief. How are you? I'm good. So businesses are on the hunt for how to use ChatGPT, and journalism is, is no different here. How do you think it's going? I mean, so far, I would say weirdly, right? Yeah, <laughs> yes. So just in the last few weeks, there was some pretty big news around CNET. It was using an AI to generate some of its stories. And what happened there is that basically people found out. And there was a lot of outrage, followed by some recriminations. And not long after that, BuzzFeed said that it was going to begin using ChatGPT to do some of its work. And there's been a little bit of confusion about exactly what they were doing. Yeah, people jumped to some conclusions that it would be kind of like what CNET was doing, right? That, that the AI would be writing their stories, but that's that's not the case. Not from what I understand. And we went to talk to Jonah Peretti, BuzzFeed CEO, to find out a little bit more. We're excited about the places where AI enables new formats, new types of content, new types of interactions. And I think a lot of people are narrowly seen AI as something that could potentially replace low-end human labor or lower costs by kind of doing the, the low end of journalism, for example. And, and that's historically how some of the precursors to the current AI models have been used. To me, that's probably why people were jumping to that conclusion that we were doing that, because that's what others have done over many years, actually, now. I mean, I, I was on the ESPN app the other day, and it was like, oh, this is an automatically generated article. To me, what's interesting is not 
that kind of work, but the path of new forms of creativity that can be unlocked with AI and humans collaborating in interesting ways. And he told us more about what they are doing with ChatGPT. The point is that the output is hyper-personalized and weaves together things dynamically that you wouldn't have been able to do with a, for example, a human writer writing a result to a quiz. What we realized is that with these new models, we could use AI to create an infinite number of quiz results. And we could also allow people to put open answers to their quizzes. So not just multiple choice, but they could enter in text, they could write their name, the name of their friends, they could write their interests. And then the quiz result can weave in your background, your friends, your interests, the things you care about, and create a whole bunch of very creative answers to the quizzes. So it's it's an exciting shift that the technology's en- enabled. And then for our writers, instead of writing 12 results, they're writing one very detailed creative prompt. And that prompt is then generating an infinite number of quiz results for the user. So it's the biggest upgrade and shift in our quizzes in the last decade to add this kind of technology. So that's pretty interesting. It's, it's also a little bit different than some of the other uses we've been hearing about in the ways that AI is being used in media. What they're talking about there sounds like a real, like, on-the-fly, personally generated response to a quiz someone fills out, which is not quite the same as some of the things that we heard about going on with, say, CNET, or frankly, that other news organizations have been doing for years. Yeah. Actually, can you lay some of that out for us? What are some other examples of newsrooms using AI? Well, at this point, it's actually pretty widespread, but not necessarily the type of stuff that's like the generative AI that we think of when we're talking about Dolly or ChatGPT. But, you know, the AP has been using AI for journalism since something like 2014. There are a lot of other big name publications, Bloomberg, The Washington Post, you know, and typically this is done in areas like financial reporting or sports. These are often stories where you can just be kind of swapping out numbers and nouns and coming up with a summary of something that happens for, you know, say an investor who's wanting to scan quickly and, and, and find things out. And that, you know, I mean, basically what that's doing is that's putting off some kind of some grunt work on an AI to just fill in these blanks. And that's, that's a lot more efficient than using a human being. And I think there's probably less controversy around it, I think it'd be fair to say. Yeah, for sure. And and what was CNET doing that's new? Well, while some of these other news organizations have used AI to, you know, to fill in the blanks, what CNET was doing is they were really authoring entire articles. And and more than that, they weren't disclosing that they were authoring these entire articles. I mean, they were sort of disclosing, but it was the disclosure was limited to a byline and not even that. Mm-hmm. Really, what you had to do is you had to click that byline and you'd get a message that the CNET Money staff that was writing this was automated journalism. There was a news site called Futurism, and Futurism broke that story in several follow-up stories. And you know, I mean, I think the thing that to keep in mind is that it wasn't just that these stories were authored by an AI. Like, like if that was the beginning and end of it, eventually I think you get around to the so what question. And the so what answer is that there were errors introduced along the way. And just as we've seen in the world of AI art, where artists are saying that their work has been misappropriated, infringed on copyrights, what Futurism found was that there were instances of plagiarism, or at least something that smells like plagiarism in those stories. So, you know, it was very different. You know, they were giving investment advice, and some of that advice was just wrong, or was taken from other authors without credit. Has anything surprised you with all this? The speed of it is amazing. 
it doesn't seem like that long ago that we were talking about, oh, wow, well, can AI accurately you know, put sports scores online? And, and the answer to that has been unequivocally yes. But we've really gone a long way from that to a world where we're talking about you know, making personalized answers to quizzes people fill out or, you know, an even bigger leap. I mean, the CNET conceivably, I think they had 70 something stories, conceivably could still be doing that. And no one might have noticed had a reporter not, not kind of stumbled upon it. And, you know, it's probably being used other places we don't know about. It's a fascinating time in AI right now. There's just so much happening so quickly with these large language models. All right. Well, thanks, Matt. This was fun. As well as being Tech Review's editor-in-chief, Matt Honan is also the editor of this podcast. You can find links to our reporting in the show notes, and you can support our journalism by going to techreview.com. We'll be back right after this. Hi, this is Brian Bryson, Director of Event Content and Experiences here at MIT Technology Review. I'm popping into this podcast to invite you to our upcoming AI conference, MTech Digital. MTech Digital is MIT Technology Review's executive briefing on artificial intelligence, its implementation, and impact on business and society. If you're tasked with integrating AI into customer offerings or using AI to streamline operations, this is your once-a-year opportunity to meet and network with the peers and leaders on the cutting edge of AI. Learn more about this exclusive event at mtechdigital.com. Every time a new scientific field is adopting ML methods, it tends to commit a lot of errors, raising expectations for what is possible, and ultimately leading to the cycle of hype. Hi, I'm Sayash Kapoor. I'm a PhD candidate at the Computer Science Department in Princeton University. He's a researcher studying the limits of current AI models. So I think CNET's example of using ChatGPT really stands out, and I think it stands out in a very particular way because it relates to something called automation bias. That's what we call it when people trust suggestions made by automated decision-making systems and ignore contradictory information made without automation, even if it's correct. CNET published 77 articles using automated generation tools. When it was found out that these articles were automated, it brought some scrutiny on them. And when they fact-checked these articles, 41 of those 77 had factual errors. Andy says we've seen this example play out in many other domains, from entertainment to healthcare. There was this study with airline pilots and simulators, and an engine fire light was incorrectly flashed. 75% of the pilots who were relying on this automated system made the error of shutting down the wrong engine based on this incorrect warning. But when they weren't relying on an automated system, only 25% of the pilots did this. Though pilots can be trained to avoid this automation dependence, systems like ChatGPT are available to the public. It's really hard to convey to the public at large how easy it is for these systems to make mistakes and how easy it is for humans to over-rely. So we are moving away from this environment where automated systems are deployed in really controlled settings to a place where anyone has free access to these tools without yet having that understanding of how these tools can go wrong and without yet realizing that humans always tend to over-rely on automated decisions. And there's also this question of ethics when it comes to how that data is sourced. Where do you get the data from? 
And are the people whose data it actually is, are they able to contest the inclusion of their data in your data set? So all of these large language models are trained on huge, vast data sets collected from all over the internet. But as a result of this, there are few protections for people whose data they're actually using. Because online data sets scraped by machines can contain personal information. For large language models like GPT, it could be a phone number or an email address. But consider the training data for a system tasked with generating images. So for instance, this one woman from Arkansas found that her medical images had been included in the dataset for training stable diffusion. Now you can imagine that the, this already causes a privacy risk. On top of that, just yesterday I read this preprint where researchers were able to make exact copies of their input dataset in the output. So basically you can reproduce the training dataset using generative AI model for images. So now this raises even more serious ethical concerns because it's not just that your data is included in this training set without your consent, but your data can be reproduced by the model that is now being sold to the public or in, in fact, in some cases, even being released for free. So I think these sorts of ethical issues are some of the thorniest ones. Whose data is collected, whether they give you consent, whether they're paid back for the service that they provide and essentially being able to train your model. And I think none of these questions are resolved as of now. My personal take is that unless companies find a way to compensate creators and get their consent, these models will not be considered legitimate. There's also the potential for misinformation and spam, because large language models aren't trained to output the truth, they're trained to make plausible statements. Now we have the ability to write text in flawless prose, to write text that sounds very compelling, but it is in fact extremely incorrect. So it can have all sorts of factual inaccuracies, and it becomes really hard to detect this for like someone who's not really an expert on the topic. Still, some startups are building toward a future where these and other AI tools are further incorporated in the newsroom. It's really difficult to actually detect whether a piece of text was generated by a machine. So there's all of these considerations in terms of how to maintain the trust in AI-generated content. My name is Francesco Marconi. I've worked in computational journalism for the last 10 years, first as the AI and automation co-lead at the Associated Press, later as the R&D chief at the Wall Street Journal. In early 2020, I started a company called Applied Excel, which uses computational journalism methods to find signals in large sets of data. There's a lot of considerations as it relates to the transparency and the explainability of the models. So if the newsroom did not train a particular model, how do you determine whether the AI is providing factual, unbiased results? So there's human checkpoints that need to be implemented when using these, these types of technologies, the same way that you vet a source, you should be able to vet the AI system. And also, I think there's another component, which is the disclosure of using AI for a certain story. So as an example, when we were automating news stories for financial and business news, both at the Associated Press and later at the Wall Street Journal, every story that was automatically generated through AI had a little disclosure saying, you know, this is the source of data 
this is the process in which we were able to produce this content at scale. What's more, systems like GPT don't factor in recent or real-time information. The knowledge of a large language model is actually based on a snapshot in time, as the models are only trained every so often. So in fact, it costs millions of dollars to train these models. So for now, it's extremely expensive to train these models on an ongoing basis. So what that means is that if you're trying to look for recent factual information, a system like GPT is not the the way to go. For example, if you ask it, who is the president-elect of Czech Republic, which won the election last week, or tell me the closing price of Pfizer stock, a language model cannot accommodate those answers. And so when using GPT or any other of these systems for news generation, it's essential to have a starting point that is factually correct and recent. To achieve that, he believes newsrooms should build out custom versions of systems like ChatGPT based on their own databases and ethical standards. When it comes to journalism, I think what will happen is that newsrooms will have these specialized instances of language models that are proprietary and based on their databases. And news organizations should think about themselves not as media companies, but as data companies. And they have a very important role to play when it comes to AI, not only as it relates to providing training data and factual information, but perhaps the key thing here is that journalists can apply the editorial standards and transparency standards to guide the development of AI. This episode was produced by Anthony Green and Emma Silicons, edited by me and Matt Honan, mixed by Garrett Lang, with original music from Garrett Lang and Jacob Gorski. Thanks for listening. I'm Jennifer Strong. This is MIT Technology Review.